As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why are you mad? Why are you mad? Why are you Why mad? mad? Hey, Louisa. What's up? Hi, Jake. How's it going? I'm good. I'm just chilling. I'm living yeah? that CPAP life. Dude, honestly, how's it going? Is, has it changed your life? I went through the initial, I think I'm on like cycle two of I can't, I think it's working, but the first thing that happened is that I convinced myself because it did make me feel a lot better. I was like, this is the single cause of all of the problems that have ever happened in my life. <laughs> and then I was like really excited, like, oh man, I feel like so much better. Like I'm not like dying all night and shit. So I have yeah. like oxygen in my brain. And then I started to go like, wait a minute. Okay, that's probably like an overcorrection where you're just like, this is literally like everything's gonna be fine. And so the, I, I think it's it, for the most part, it is totally helping me though. But like I did, like I, I noticed, I started to get uh, less hangovers. Oh, so because you're probably getting like more oxygen and shit at night and more and better sleep. Dude, the thing that I was having when I was drinking, like yeah. before I had the CPAP machine, was worse than any hangover that other normal people have. Because you don't yeah. die all night because you're not <laughs> drinking or not choking or not breathing. So, like, yeah. you wake up with, like, unprocessed alcohol in your body and shit. Yeah. And so I didn't realize that wasn't normal. So I was just walking around like everyone feels like this after, like, a six-pack, no. right? And it wasn't. I, re I rarely get hangovers. So what happened is I then went, oh, my God, I'm invincible to hangovers now. And I overdid it last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, pushed Very it. Very healthy. But I found the limit. I think I found the amount I can drink and be normal. So I'm good. I'm chilling. I'm having a pretty good week. What about you? Yeah. Um, no, I'm having a good week, too. Um, I was trying to think of stuff that I was mad about because, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like some people expect us to be mad about shit. And I really am not, <laughs> partially because I'm on good men's. And we were, we're going to talk about that with our guests in a second. But, um, you know, I am starting. I started a show, which I've, like, been talking about on here. So I'm going to keep talking about it and, like because people reach out to me and they're like oh what do i do to start a show and i'm very like oh and Corey, our guest who totally we haven't introduced but she's also produced stuff and there's like a thing where i'm like i know why you want to do this but it's so doesn't pay and it's so not a good idea <laughs> and then so you're just like it's not a good idea so all this to say i'm loving doing a show but of course i started in the red you know i have to put up a bunch of money to pay all the talent and the photographer and to create the art for the show and the venue takes a portion of the fucking door no matter what so it's like rojo and i are not making any money to do the show you know what i mean yeah and i personally am putting money into it to do the show and you know, you just have to calculate like, oh, okay, I have to do like three or four shows to hopefully break even. So that means in like a month, because we're only doing two a month, in two months, hopefully we're at zero. You know what I mean? Like I've broken even, which still means that Rojo and I did two months of unpaid work. <laughs> so it's like, it's it sucks. You know, like you have such a great feeling at the show and doing the show and booking people and paying people and putting on a great event that people enjoy but it's like a lot of fucking unpaid work that just skates on like a, a whoever's like good at admin shit and has the connections and has whatever. And you just I don't think that it's worth it. So like I jokingly tonight just tweeted like buy tickets to this or else like if I don't break even by the end of the summer, I'm just going to become a full time hedonist. And I kind of mean it, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> there's no reason why I should be investing money into all the shit. Like I could just go to other people's shows that they're investing money into this. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know. So that's where I'm at, right? With okay. this next point, which is not, this is not subtweeting anyone. <laughs> this isn't about any specific person or even about this show before I get a fucking bunch of crybabies in my DMs. <laughs> I, that is a subtweet right there. But <laughs> um, <laughs> really, this is from 10 years of doing shows, a thing that I'm annoyed and mad about is like when comics don't retweet or like share the promo in any way of a show that they're on. And like, I've been talking on here about how important the alt is, especially now when like venues have closed and all this shit. And it's like up to us to start new shows and provide all this other stage time that the clubs are not going to provide for fucking people that don't have TV credits. You know what I mean? Uh But then we do these shows and we book you people and then you fucking won't retweet it. Yeah. Like I literally had a comic once tell me like, Oh, well, you know, I just feel unsafe saying where, where I'm at right now in my mm. social media and then like the very next week post the show that they are personally <laughs> hosting you know what I mean so it's like, yeah. I know whatever and then there's people that are fucking doing Gotham and they can't promote another thing you know I know there's reasons but it just sucks because you are not like you're acting like there's a bunch of us out here putting out putting on shows to give you stage time just out of the goodness of our heart and you can't even repay us with like try to tell your audience to come here yeah (laughs) like support independent shows and good people that run comedy shit i think it's kind of insulting when they do that because what they're saying is like oh you want me for the quality of my jokes and it's like sure on some level but i also need you because you what your function is is to bring people to the show and like, yeah. I feel, this reminds me of like when I, uh, I, I, somebody asked me to open for them one time and I didn't have a driver's license and I forgot to tell them and they had to like, kind of, kind of, kind of give me my lumps about it. And they were like, listen, yeah. I think you're really funny, but you, I hired you to drive the car, you know? Uh, and I was like, yeah. oh, right. Okay. Don't get, don't Dude. get carried away with your fantasy of how you're a great <laughs> comedian and shit. Like that's really fucking funny. But Jake, I pride myself on not booking people who are not funny, yeah. you know, or like who I think are funny only is what I try to book. Well, it is so, both though. No. So it's not transactional for me. It's, I mean, I guess it's transactional, but I, I want it to be like voluntary transactional. Does that make sense? Like I want it to be like, dude, yeah. I am literally putting in money and time and sweat and blood into putting on shows and putting you on shows and showing you to the audiences that come for me and whatever. You can't retweet this to your fucking 20,000 followers or whatever the fuck. Like, why wouldn't you want the people that follow you to come to the shows where they're paying less than they do at a club, where there's no two drink minimum, <laughs> where they're supporting independent artists and independent venues? Like, what? Why wouldn't you? Comics are than- dumb. They, they don't understand, like, they believe in scarcity that doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Twitter's free. It doesn't cost you any money to use it. You should just spam yeah. all your shit. There's no reason not to. Yeah, dude. And honestly, I'm holding grudges over here. (laughs) I'm like, I think, you know, I'm trying not to make a list, an actual list, but I have a mental list of people that are just like, man, that's messed up. Like, I'm out here promoting you and you like promote other shows that you're doing. And I guess maybe you're making more money, but then just fucking don't do a show if you're not proud to be on it. And you don't want to tell the people that you that follow you. I don't book 
divas. I don't book people that show up like ten seconds before they go on stage and then leave immediately afterwards. And they're like, you I, know, I definitely do. I definitely have. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I'm also not a booker. I <laughs> run a show sometimes, like one show. So I try not to judge comics for the fucking personal flaws and only look at their comedy, and that also gets me into trouble. But anyway, I think this is a good point to invite our guest in because we honestly talked too much. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and I'm sure she's got something to say about this. But welcome, Corey Spencer. Hey guys. Uh, yeah, hi, comedian, podcast host. Um, how are you doing? Mental health pioneer. No, that's not good. <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I what was just telling Jake, I'm doing you- good. Just took Adderall. <laughs> oh, for so like jealous. the first time, right? Like, for like the first time. Well, medically. <sighs> for, yeah, first yeah. time for a doctor told you to. Yeah. Really like- so fucking jealous. I don't want to derail the thing that I wanted to ask you about, about the comedy thing. But do you know that I specifically went to a psychiatrist this year? to get Adderall, right? I've told Jake on this podcast before, like I haven't been able to finish a book in like a year and a half. I, it's like really hard uh-huh. for me to finish my tasks at work. I, it's really bad. And then I even had like, I bump into things and then somebody told me that that's like a fucking ADHD thing too, that you just like hurt yourself all the time because you fall down and like whatever. Constantly. Oh my constantly God. running into shit. Constantly. It's humiliating. Yeah. But then I go to the psychiatrist and I'm like full on with here's like all my reasons that I think you should give me Adderall. And this bitch asked me like a bunch of questions. And then she's like, oh, it sounds to me like you've got severe PTSD and depression. And we need to treat that before we consider any of the attention issues because they wow. are related. Too. That's true, actually. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I was hate hearing her. that people are more likely to be diagnosed with depression before they are diagnosed with ADHD. And that's well, exactly what happened to me. But that's partially because of the stigma on drugs, right? Because they think that we're asking for them to get high, which is stupid because if I wanted to get high, I could, I could just them. go get yeah, them. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like I can buy them. I have $20 to buy one and have fun. But yeah, that's not I did tons I of Adderall at at, uh, at uh, a fucking Bridgetown in like what was it 2009? Yeah, and I was like, this shit's great. You know, I can focus. I was the comics hanging out. Didn't even want to drink either. Didn't want to have a drink because I was just vibing. I legit. All I want to do is finish a book. It's the nerdiest shit. I'm like, I want drugs that's a great goal. To finish a book, mm-hmm. and this lady will not give it to me. But. <laughs> All of that said, um, with this psychiatrist and this visit, which was intended to get Adderall, yeah, uh, I totally didn't mean to start with my mental health shit. But no, no, this is but great. They, but the Adderall was like a good way in because that's literally why I went to the doctor, right? Like, uh, I started to feel better after the pandemic. I had a very bad depression period in 2018, but I got off the meds that I was on because it fucking killed my sex drive, you guys. And then that made me more depressed. I don't know how mm-hmm. these people don't fucking think of that. <laughs> and so... Oh, this is going to make you gain 500 pounds, but don't let that depress you. Exactly. And you don't want to be touched and you don't want to touch anybody. But sure, you know, (laughs) be happy about life. That's fantastic. So um, I spent like the whole pandemic year kind of like getting off of the previous antidepressant. You know what I mean? Wow. And then I go to this lady and I'm like, no, I think I'm fine (laughs) after I got off of this. And then she asked me a few questions, totally start crying. Like, oh, okay, you got me. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'm not fine, I guess. But I still didn't come here for the depression shit. I came here for the attention. But she explains, and I get it, that she's correct, that one of the side effects of like PTSD and depression is memory issues and attention issues and all of that. So she recommended a new drug for me after listening very patiently to the ones that I've tried. I, the first time I ever went to a therapist was like in college, right? 
which is much later, I think, than most of the people that I meet now. Um, but I have tried, like, I guess, three other antidepressants in my life. And this one is the first one, you guys, that is like... It works. It works. It, great. It's great. I haven't cried. <laughs> it, May I ask what you're taking? Effexor. Huh. Which is, yeah, so this is what's weird. So I've tried SSRIs and blah, 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 all that shit. That all fucks me up. I can't do it. Um, Effexor is a drug that its primary use is for high blood pressure. And its secondary use is to control depression. And I've never had high blood pressure. Yeah, but Mm. this psychiatrist was like, hey, this is like one of the minor uses for this drug. But it works for people that have rejected SSRIs and whatever the fucking other one is, RIs, whatever. And... Um, I tried it and it worked in a small dose and then I like went in for the check-in and I was like, I think I'm great. And then she like asked me more questions and I totally started crying again. And she's like, I think we should up it. And I was like, fuck, this bitch got me again. <laughs> up it. And it's honestly, dude, it's honestly great. I'm not crying. Good. I'm having great conversations, really great relationships with people. Um, what is kind of sad about it to me though, is that I didn't have access to this so long ago you know and it's yes. kind of like that and i touched about touched on because he made a joke on twitter about his cpap machine or whatever yeah yeah that he was like mad that he didn't know he could have slept better all these other years or whatever yeah, yeah it's, a, it's and, the worst feeling it's like the best feeling yeah. in the world followed by the worst feeling in the world the worst mm-hmm. feeling because it's I like feel, that regret yeah i feel like i fucked up relationships in the past because i wasn't like my brain was imbalanced and i wasn't present and i yeah. was distracted and all these things so it made me sad that even like when I had jobs, when I had insurance, right? Um, I didn't have money for the copay. <laughs> it was so exactly. fucking ridiculous. Yeah, so exactly. Like, and then therapy is outside of your network. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's not sure. covered for. So even if you have insurance, therapy is not part of the fucking thing. So it was just like never accessible to me until I'm almost 40. Yep. And it feels crazy because i've been depressed since i was like in my teens and i legit had this feeling of my brother blew my mind one day when he was like he just said out loud that he like never thought he would live past 30 and i was like holy shit me too i never (laughs) had plans to live past 18 yeah never did like i never planned for my future didn't go to college i didn't learn foreign language in high school i really truly thought i was going to die before i was 18 Exactly. So here's where I will end it at is that now I'm in a great place where um, I'm having good relationships, but thinking about how I could have had these all along. I am finally doing like exercising, trying to eat better. I'm trying to quit cigarettes now. Everybody hold me to that. Whoa. Uh, yeah. For the first time, I've never really tried to quit cigarettes. Here's my first try. We're going to do it. You're doing uh, it right now? Yeah. I mean, like as of like a day and a half ago. Good for <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, but it's because I have like a really fucked up cough that just won't go away. So and it's think- kind of embarrassing <laughs> yeah. in the age of Corona. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. You can't have a lover in your bed that can't sleep because you can't stop <laughs> coughing. Yeah, dude. That's fucking not <laughs> sexy at all. I apologize, lover, if you're listening. Dude, when coronavirus <laughs> first came out, I was like, everyone was like, every time I cough in my office at work, I'd be like, I smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes. Yeah. I just smoke. I smoke just weed. Like, that's a good excuse. But I didn't want anyone to know. But I also didn't want anyone to think that was coronavirus. Same. So I was and like, I smoke cigarettes all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean, that's why I'm quitting cigarettes is because I also smoke weed. And I'm like, well, one's got to go. <laughs> so it's got to be cigarettes. And then if my fucking cough doesn't go away, I got to quit weed, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, it's not cute. And my whole point is that. 
you know, it's great that I'm exercising, great that I'm eating better, having better yeah. But fuck, dude, it's fucked up that humans these days, like, we get to, we don't get, like, my dad died at 36. And for me to be 39 and being like, I, I'm That's finally feel, finding myself makes me so sad <laughs> for my dad. I'm like... That's terrible. He was, ch- <laughs> he was like a child that never got a chance. It's so sad. Well, I'm, I'm 43. Yeah. And so finding out Monday, Tuesday, which was for me, what was that? Like yesterday, day before yesterday, I just found out I had it. And I have had a suspicion, but the definition for it used to be ADD. Now, for a lot of us who are my age, that wasn't known what it was. So we went to school, graduated, if we graduated, I didn't. Um, But if we graduated, uh, we never probably knew what was wrong with us. And I just couldn't ever focus in school. And I was a bad student. I only liked the the subjects that I liked. And I just thought that, you know, oh, well, I only like, I'm only good at these things because I like them. And that's actually very, very common in ADHD. You know, there's a lot of students that are like valedictorian. I'm like, how these people know science, how these people know math. And and then they can read well and they can do all these things. They can use all these parts of their brain. Why can't I? That's what's fucked up is I am very high functioning. I got five degrees. I like my senior year in high school, I had 89 absences and I still graduated top 10%. (laughs) The school year is only 180 days, <laughs> and I was like gone more than 50 percent of the days. Damn. Uh, so my my graduating GPA is like, was 1.72. Mine was 4.2. Yeah, and, bad student right here. And I took like I was on acid all the time and all this stuff. But I, I like I didn't I was, have sex or do drugs in high oh, school, no. and I was such a bad student. <laughs> I did. That's what's fucked up. So that's a point that I want to make is that sometimes like people appear fine i guess mm-hmm. and they're not fine man <laughs> like, yeah. you're just uh the way you cope is by being high functioning and like trying to maintain order and uh control over the things around you so you're like i can be good at this you know what i mean but like my brother yeah. was the opposite it was like what you're saying where like his attention couldn't be held and not for anything rebelled. unless it's art yeah like exactly. i i had straight a's in choir art class I was a drama geek. I was a drama TA. I was an yeah. office TA. Like I did all these things that I thought would be fun, and I did really good at. Yeah. What about you, reasons. Jake? Have you are you have you ever been? We should let Jake out? talk. Yeah, have you ever been diagnosed? By anything? <laughs> oh, I'm just chilling. Anything or? <laughs> um, <laughs> Not to you, put you on the spot, but I, I guess I want to know. <laughs> you know, what you just reminded me of. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about this because I was yeah, a psych yeah. major and stuff, and like. Yeah. Um, well, actually, you just made me think about something. In high school, I used to fall asleep all the time. I just slept in class. And part of it was oh, like... because of this. Yeah. You were that kid. Right. Shit. Because of the sleep disorder I had. Part of it, yeah. though, I, I was like actively like, fuck this. I'm mad that school is a thing that they make you go to. Oh, God. I bet they were so mean to you for falling asleep during class. Like, you couldn't get your shit together or something? Well, they were like, this punk kid's like a fucking rebel. And he's like being a dick about it. And I was, but also I was because I was like, I don't want to be here because I'm sleepy. <laughs> so, like, it's all one big 
big wall of a ball of wax or whatever. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I wonder if I would have been like really into school if I had just woken up every day and not been like dreading it so hard because because yeah. waking yeah. up sucks. Like even I I worked my whole life to become like self-employed and yeah. get to a point where my day is backloaded. Like I get all my work mm-hmm. done at the end of the day because I just have this thing my whole life where it takes me hours to really get moving because of this because now that I understand because I fucking was dying every night when I was sleeping or whatever. Oh my god. It's crazy, right? No, but uh, but understand that there's like a whole other side of kids, I think like me where and not just like me, I think in worse situations than me where school is like the bright part of their day, you know, because they have bad situations at home, which I'm not saying I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I just went exactly. for the social aspect, but yeah. then yeah, so there's was like really a lot bad. of us who <laughs> who looked woke up and looked forward to school i honestly was never like bothered by school it's you know if you guys want to know like i had some fucking therapist once tell me oh the college one tell me that i had like existential anxiety that's <laughs> crazy that's um, wild to hear when you're a kid so like, like, why does that even be it's like yeah exactly and it's like literally because since i was like a kid it was just the um like it was about like there was no meaning to life for me <laughs> since I was like 11. <laughs> it's like it doesn't seem like there's a point to this. Yep. And it made school therefore very easy for me because it wasn't about achieving any goal. It was just about like you go through the day and you fucking read a book and you talk to this person and you get something done. But I would get in trouble because like chemistry uh-huh. was like super boring for me. I got it all and I would like not have to listen to le- lectures and shit. So I would read historical romance novels. I was into <laughs> these. My mom would let me buy them at the market. You know, that's the thing. It's like like Harlequins. Yeah, exactly. So like part of the way that I like perfected my English was reading these fucking romance novels. They were like set in historical period. I love that. I fucking (laughs) love that. And then I would get put into detention or my books would get taken away because I was reading Harlequin romance novels during chemistry in middle school. And Jake, I don't know if you've seen the covers of these. Oh, yeah. yeah like it's, Fabio. I mean, it's Fabio. Oh, it's fucking God. Fabio. Oh, my, my God. I see him at the thrift store all the time in the dime section. And I was like, who the fuck reads this shit? Is this like Danielle uh, 13 year old Latinas. <laughs> is, it, is this like Danielle Steele? Like that type of shit? Mm-hmm. My- no. Well, I mean, it's even, it's even lower. I have read Danielle Steele. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's what happened. My Here's grandma had all like a whole bookcase. I, my mom read I read Danielle Steele and the more like higher level ones like that, which whatever. Mm-hmm. But I did the thing. You guys remember the thing where you did like a CD subscription thing with like Columbia House. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They also yeah. never paid them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Scam them. Never paid One penny time. for 12 CDs. <laughs> okay, where I am the kind of nerd slash criminal <laughs> that I did that for Harlequin Romance. Novels. Oh, it's funny. So, like, <laughs> I signed up. Yeah, so I signed just up for that shit. Just this hot and horny teenage kid. Yeah. Like, yeah, give me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I would just get like a package and my mom would be like, you got mail. That's weird. And I'd open it and it'd be like a half naked fucking 1800 Scottish But lady. you were able to read those. You were able to read those as a kid. I yeah. was too. I read R.L. Stein, yeah. Babysitter's Club, and I just sit there and go into my I own world. Those. Why can't I do that anymore? Yeah. I well, can't. I can't exactly. do it anymore. It's ha- really fucking crazy. I have kind of a hot take I'm going to get to, I think. Like okay. a, my one okay. kind of thing I want to get out on this episode. But before we get into that, we should back up. Corey, what, so you have a podcast about mental health, right? I do. Can you explain to me like how that started? 
I don't know how uh, Elsa and me have just become mental health gurus in the past couple of years. Okay. Uh, just because, uh, well, part of mine was I got hypothyroidism, and the hypothyroidism was untreated for about four years, and I got very, very sick. I gained 40 pounds. Um, I've only lost, like, then I gained another 20. I've only lost 20, but I'm mm-hmm. on my way. Okay. My thyroid worked. But at the time, your thyroid regulates your hormones. It'll bring up PTSD. It started giving me nightmares. I'd have nightmares every night. I still do. I have nightmares every night. Part of that's gabapentin. Anyway. um, Gabapentin is a drug? Nightmares every night. Gabapentin is what I take. uh, It's pretty common, actually. Uh, It's for nerve uh, because I have degenerative disc disease. Okay. Um, And I have a a fake hip. Um, I got a hip replacement two years ago. Holy shit, Corey. I'm full of disease. Uh, but I've had these problems since bed, like since I was 18 and got in a car accident. Okay. So, so with the hypothyroidism, it just kind of made everything come to a head. I got sicker and sicker. I didn't want to perform. So I started a comedy festival. That's what you do, right? (laughs) Um, Sure. It makes sense completely. So the two years that I spent (laughs) organizing Cinderblock, I was very, very sick and I just stayed at my home all the time, worked 12 hours on the festival, didn't have a job just put everything I had into that and then had people call me a con artist. It was fantastic. Um, (laughs) All I wanted to do was highlight people that weren't me because I did not want to spotlight on me because I hated myself. And people were like, you're just doing it for the clout. And I'm like, honestly, I want to die. Do you want to talk Uh, about that right now? I I mean, I'll give my opinion. I I thought it was super funny. Lay it out for people. Thank you. Because I thought, uh, do you want me to explain it to our audience? I'd love to hear what you, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) what Corey is is referring to right now is that a couple of years ago, she did a comedy festival called Cinderblock Comedy Festival. I want to say it's like 2015, 2016, something like that. 2016, 2017. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So a few years ago, and she put out the, you know, this is me being like not a comic, right? What I'm seeing is yeah. information went out. This this festival is happening, and it's going to be in Brooklyn and whatever. And you can submit this way. And what I heard was, it cost this much amount of money for women to submit to be in the festival, and it cost one dollar more for men to to submit. As like a gesture to the fact that men make more money than women, right? And, and maybe I'm getting my amounts wrong, but it was like a minute, like, why You're pretty close. Yeah, you're right? very close. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's like very not like, and then what I saw was people begin to attack you in this way of being like, oh, it seems like you're just doing this for clout and to be like a cool feminist and whatever the fuck. But it was also dudes who like, ugh. A, you probably were not going to get picked by your submission because you're not that great. (laughs) And B, (laughs) you are chasing clout by trying to be like, oh, anything that any woman does to try to like forward women getting access to something, even in this minute way that doesn't actually increase access. It's totally symbolic. And like, dude, I'll give you the dollar for you to submit to this fucking thing or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, so that's I don't know. very, that's, that's how very I, that's right. how I read it. You're Tell me close. what, okay. well, can I make so, it weird so, for a minute? Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Did you submit, Jake? Did you submit? No, I made fun of it. But I, <laughs> oh. since then, I think everyone I've, had a hot take. Everyone <laughs> had a hot take. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I was I, actually honored that everyone needed to have a hot take. In my defense, well, I did not have a hot take until this podcast right now. As Ooh. someone who regularly starts shit on the internet, I admire the move of making that comedy fest because it started a fucking argument where people were, you know, we've got a lot of traffic yeah. out of people because like it caused. Um, People, uh, I think, short-sightedly look at it one way or the other. And honestly, the way, when I moved to New York, I am—I feel pretty comfortable saying a working-class guy from a working-class family. And I probably, you know, it's weird that I even left the town that I lived in. And so when I moved to New York, I became very, very kind of resentful of um, the fact that this is New York City. A lot of people that move here and a lot of people especially that move here to be artists and things like that Rich. from a higher class bracket. <laughs> and so, you Same. know, I've and been we poor my whole life. living kind of through, you know, these weird political times with like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and all this stuff. And there, I felt like people did not understand that things are harder for you when you're broke. And because everyone was arguing about gender and like feminism of a certain type back then, it all culminated in this thing where like, I felt like a lot of rich white women were looking at guys like me and saying I was oppressing them. And I was like, well, I see it the other way around cause you're rich. And, but like, I'm a guy <laughs> and it's like, Hey, we all learned inter intersectionalism through all this. Right. It's like fucking goes both ways. Right. But, um, but yeah. during that, I remember thinking, well, like the bit even is like kind of annoying because I'm just so broke. So like, um, you know, to imply that I make more money than you cause I'm a guy, well, we are all broke-ass comedians, though, right? Like, we're all dog walkers and stuff. So, like, the the men who control the world are... That's somebody else. Like, that ain't They're me. They're not us. I yeah. didn't like being cast in the role You're of totally right. the guy who controls no, everything. Wait. That being said, that being said, the main thing about this that I remember talking about people with was I was like... Well, this is a dumb argument to begin with that we're all having because comedy cl uh, comedy festivals are inherently exploitive. Like, usually the people that run right. them are just fucking, it's a grift, and they're just making money off the people right. that apply to them, and they don't actually want to do anything for them. But the more I thought about it, and I listened to people talk about it, and I, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, you're not, that wasn't the point of the festival, right? The point was no. to fucking have right. comedy. And so. let, me, let me even <laughs> defend you, Corey, before you even have to speak, because I also think that, um... Uh, wait, fuck. I well, you didn't become like a fucking titan of industry. You just clearly wanted mm. to put a show together. So I totally, the right. difference of a few dollars as a bit is like fine. Like <laughs> It's funny, yeah, you know? It doesn't matter. So essentially, I do think that the real problem is not a problem to lay at Corey's feet, but it is a matter of like um, the fact that comics have to pay to submit to perform yes. anywhere. Right. And that's why I haven't had a new festival because I yeah. have not found a model that is that not is sustainable and not exploited. Exactly. And that still Same. pays me. Pays Same. my employees, pays my comics, pays I my venues. Right. I I I, yeah. it's, I can't find that model. Therefore, I'm you. not running I'm, a festival. I'm like a big That's annoying my, communist yeah. or whatever. I will still do festivals if I look at it and go, this price pretty much guarantees us all we have a good time yeah. and a good hangout and everyone gets paid. You know. But if I yeah. But if I go, oh, it's all funneled to the top and some asshole who owns a comedy but, club maybe is like fucking. You know. I think a lot of people it. knew already knew who I was because I'd done comedy in San Francisco and, and, you're and not Portland. Exploiting them exactly. So they I think knew that, I wasn't trying I know, to start exactly. shit. So anybody who it was, was strange. Strangers that hated yeah, strangers me. who were putting her in the position of the type of people you're talking about, Jake, is people who didn't know her. That's why I don't think this is to put at her feet. True. Um, I 
I do think that the problem is in the paying, right? Like nobody should have to pay to perform or to even Agreed. potentially perform. But then the reality is like you are also then expecting free labor on the other end for the people who have to watch all those videos and decide who's going to be in them. You yeah, know? We got six over 600 yeah. submissions so, in our second year. Exactly. So I have worked for festivals and... I have had festivals where they send me fucking a thousand clips to watch and I have a spreadsheet where I have to put in a Same. fucking number and shit and mm-hmm. there's other people. I'm not getting paid shit. You know what I nope. get? A free badge. And so I yeah. still have to pay my flight there and my hotel there or sometimes I'll get the hotel, but I still have to stay, spend $400 yeah. to go watch Same with comics that I Women in Comedy. Yeah. I was a judge for Women in Comedy Festival yeah. like three, three years in a row and I had to pay my own way to get there and I stayed yeah. with a friend. So understand but, it's, a, it's a scam at all the yeah. levels. Yeah, is totally. My point. At all the levels so, because when they invite you to come judge or they invite you to come do shit, it's still you getting scammed to be there for them to use your name and you don't oh, have absolutely. to absolutely. Yeah. Have to no, totally. So I, I want to explain a little bit more about the festival just yeah. because I did think it was uh, – originally it was for women. Yeah. Um, originally, I, I wanted something for, for that just benefited women. And then after I started uh, bringing some people to my house and showing them the PowerPoint that I had created, <laughs> um, I, uh, we started talking about it. And we all agreed that it was more inclusive if uh, our festival was for people of color, LGBT, women, um, and uh, I believe... That was it at first. Yeah. And and so I was like, okay, let's open it up to these types of people. And the hot, whole idea was is we had a pre-submission date. We had like a whole month, I think it was maybe six weeks, where yeah. we only took submissions from those groups. Yeah. And during that time, the submission fee was like twenty one seventy five or something like that. Yeah. And then Which, after, by the way, is less than most festivals. I would yes. Say. Yeah. And then after that six weeks, night to everyone else, and still including minorities. And in fact, yeah. a lot of minorities uh, and people of the groups I was trying to target, they waited and paid the twenty five dollar submission when everything opened up. In fact, I got more coming in that way. Yeah. Sure. Because it wasn't about the rate; it was just about what we were trying to do. Yeah. I had a uh, a guy in a wheelchair reach out to me and say, hey, I, I suffer from dwarfism. I'm in a wheelchair. I have these diseases. I have all these you know, disabilities and stuff. Is your festival also for people who are disabled? And I sat on it for a day and was like, yes. Sure. Yeah. And then I opened it up to people with disabilities, including stutters, including uh, Asperger. I mean, anything that was different and exciting and, you know, like a, a different yeah. point of view to, to listen to. And so that's when uh, that first year I just said, OK, these are the groups we're trying to target. We still had plenty of straight white men. Yeah. On the lineup. Yeah. Um, They'll also show up to apply to stuff like that, even if it's specifically. I was in uh, NBC Stanford Diversity like way back in 2007. Oh, and they can't call it that anymore because everyone lost their shit. Yeah. And like, um, and I would go as an alumni to hang out with my friends while they were applying every year. And like, I would just go Mm -hmm. to the like the first part of the submission with them. And every year, half the damn thing was white dudes that showed up because like, no one is stopping you yeah. from applying and probably getting into these fucking things. Yeah. <laughs> and then nobody stopped them from applying to Cinderblock, and they still got in. We got yeah. we had 
We had mm-hmm. Josh Gondelman and Mike Kaplan, you know, the huge guys, the good guys, yeah, you know, like people guys. that we know are going <laughs> to, well, they're going to show up and they're going to have a good time. And, you know, yeah. and that was, that was our minority was the straight white men. And I know a lot of people came the first year thinking that we were going to bomb it all. And so there was a lot of pressure on me that first year. And of course I was depressed. Of course I was sick. Of course I wanted to fucking die. But I, at that point, after getting death threats, after getting, um, you know, people who said they wanted to murder me with a cinder block. Um, my favorite one, you'll love this one, Jake, especially you. I, think, okay. <laughs> I got a volunteer form. I got a volunteer. They filled out a volunteer form volunteering to kill me. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's horrible, but. It's a little clever. <laughs> and for a while, I had somebody else reading the emails because I couldn't read my own emails coming in because trauma I literally yeah. crawled up in the fucking fetal position. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like crying my eyes out, taking Klonopin for the first time in my life, and people are online going, "She's a conner." <laughs> so like, oh God, I just wanted to do. I didn't want to leave comedy. God. I wanted to stay relevant while I was still sick. Yeah, because I thought eventually I'm going to get better and I'm gonna want to perform again. Um, not, even, not even just stay relevant, man. I don't know. Listen, I've been like... Um, I don't like being left out of shit. It's not Give even it. just that. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I'm sorry to bring up Nietzsche. Allow me <laughs> for one second. But uh, I was just telling somebody that I was uh, texting this week, like, uh, and I think I've said this before in this podcast, but it matters, and specifically the way that you're talking about, Corey, which is like Nietzsche at his deathbed, like he wrote all the shit being like, I never, like he never connected with anybody. Like his entire life, he just felt like he never was seen eye to eye with a person. You know what I mean? And I think that in a lot of ways, what we are doing is going out and finding those people to meet up with that have, are, they understand what we're going through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, completely forgot why I brought this up. No, it's fine. But, you know, I I can know if I want to be somebody's friend if I work with them. And Um, and, uh, that's how me and Elsa became friends. Oh, I do want to hear this, but I remembered what I was going to say, okay? Because, Uh, no, I I specifically wanted to speak to what you said about, like, wanting to work on the festival while you were sick. I just Mm -hmm. remembered. Sorry, I'm a pothead. I completely forget what I'm talking about. Same, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but... You know, uh, the thing with Nietzsche is he wrote this thing where, like, what he was specifically saying is that he engaged in art and culture and theory in this way of, like, it was a distraction for him, right? A way that he was like, let me try to find release and relief from my ex- my actual physical existence and my loneliness where nobody connects with me. So his writing wasn't this thing of a goal within itself that where he wanted to be great. It was a distraction from how difficult and painful his existence was when he felt so alone. And I think that's something that we go through individually through our sicknesses and our whether it's mental or physical and our limitations. And we we seek um, relief in our arts, yeah. relief. And like he says something where he's like, and what else do poets ever do but manufacture happiness in our in through our art? Right. Yeah. And I, that's what's really interesting to me. Is I that, like that. Yeah, that we, you know, that exactly the thing that you're talking about of like, you didn't have a goal in making this festival. The only goal was to like distract yourself from what you felt like you were losing and what you felt like you were going through. Isn't it funny that when you do something that pure, no one trusts you? No one They're trusts. Like, What's the angle here? You know, like, yeah. I just want to have fun you know <laughs> exactly so this it is my question of what i wanted yeah so this is my question to both of you 
Um, what is both of your attitudes, I guess, in slash relationships? And we can go with Corey first. What is your attitude slash relationship towards therapy? Like, what is your goal in going to therapy or getting medical help for your mental health? How would you state it to somebody that's like, why do you seek out mental health help? Um, I like to have a better understanding of why I choose the choices that I do and make the decisions that I do. And I find uh, the brain fascinating. I find mm. different diagnoses, diagnoses, uh, different conditions, mm. different, I find them fascinating. And um, for me, originally when I went into mental health uh, or into therapy was because um, it was either that or uh, just watch myself die. And yeah. just allow it to happen. And yeah. um, I didn't actually do anything like shoot myself or anything like that. I was just willing myself to not exist anymore, yeah. which is very, it's also but, very active. It's very funny when people talk about like suicidal thoughts or tendencies when you're like, I mean, I never tried, but I've always thought about how great it would be to not exist. Is that a thing? <laughs> oh my God. I just didn't have kidding? the energy to kill myself. <laughs> it sounds great. I can't right wait to now. die. Yeah. I think about it all just, the time. So, <laughs> Even I think on like a for good now, day, though, you know? <laughs> for now, though, my, med my meds have changed so much. I'm so different than I was even three years ago. Like my parents, my brother and my mother just reminded me that three years ago they visited me in Brooklyn because I checked myself into a psych ward. And uh, they were like, fuck, that means things aren't okay. Yeah. You know? And uh, they were like, remember when we came to New York? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I fucking do remember when you came to New York. So they think you're doing better also, right? Also, yeah. 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 So okay. it's been three years and I've changed a lot. So now I go to therapy because, um, well, the therapy I just started was EMDR. Okay. And EMDR, I don't know, if you're not familiar, you might be, but I'll explain it for people who explain aren't. It, yeah. Um, I, I, this, is how I, this is how I say it. Uh, imagine a painting that's like very crisp and clean and it has very defined lines. And that painting hurts you. It, 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 to look at, yeah. but you can't help but see it. Okay. And so what I'm going to do with EMDR is I'm going to paintbrush and I'm just going to mute it. Okay. And I'm going to keep muting until it doesn't hurt anymore. Interesting. And the way that they do it scientifically is if you're inside a, um, an office, they have you watch a red dot while you tell your story. <laughs> Yeah. And the, the idea is the more you tell your story, the less it hurts you. Right. And I started EMDR from home during the pandemic. And the approach is different. It's a tapping. Hmm. It's uh, you tap on both sides here. I know I'm not helping the mic, but you tap on both <laughs> sides like like a butterfly on your chest. Your hands yeah. are crossed like like, you're, uh, you know, dead. <laughs> and then you tap each side. Okay. And you know, the tapping can, you know, be hard, it can be soft, whatever you're into, but you've got to feel it. Do the goth yeah. kid I'm um, in a coffin pose and tap so on yourself. Goth, I love yeah, it. I like it's it. a little distracting. Uh but here's what happened. My EMDR therapist said, I don't think you can do this. Why and not? that because I couldn't I couldn't retain focus. Oh, because of ADD stuff, ADHD. That's stuff? why she said, "I think you might have ADHD. I think you should get a test." And this is my third mm. therapist that said this to me. 
So you know what's funny is that I have I also was told that I should get e- a EDM or whatever the fuck. And yeah, we have EMDR, electronic yeah. dance music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I think of. <laughs> um, but we have a, a psychiatrist who listens to the show, and I talk to regularly because you know we dated, we fucked, whatever. You know, but, uh, <laughs> he. We, nice. we talked about EDM or whatever it's called. The, ne- the last time I mentioned it on the show, he texted me about oh, yeah. it. And he he is a person who doesn't believe in it. Sorry if I'm paraphrasing what you said. Ooh, this is exciting. Yeah. yeah. But he doesn't believe in it, I think, because of what he said. That he was like, it's just like a trick to get you to be like a cat focusing on a light. That means like like there's like a physical movement attached to the telling of the story, but it really it's the telling of the story that is like. But yo, helpful. I gotta trick my brain to do shit all the time. I know. Why we not trick cats. myself to not exactly. hurt so fucking exactly. much? Exactly, exactly. So that totally sounds right it. to me. But also, I am I am a person who is. Um, because I'm trying to do this whole project, Corey, I don't know. If you listen to the show, maybe you've heard me talk about this, but if not, no. I am purposely trying to live like a single faceted life where I present the same person in all of the facets of my life. And so part of that is working through where there are conflicts. And so I have constant conversations with the people in my life, whether it's like comedy and you perceive me as like networking and a booker and whatever. And I'm like, no, but I'm also this full other person that has these other things. Or we're just fucking, no, I'm also this person that has, even my mother, my mother has to see my ass on Instagram and has to hear my opinions about not having children and has like knows the drugs that I do because I'm not trying to pretend to be anybody different than I am in any area. I'm the Which same you, way. I do not want to tell lies. I do not want exactly. secrets. I, I, so I, they don't that, work for me. That's how yeah. abuse breeds. Exactly. But that means that by default, I'm already doing the work in my life and in my relationships to, um, I guess, like take away the power from any of my previous experiences because I can talk yes. about them and I don't yes. feel shame around them and they don't th- dictate my choices and my decisions. And so to answer my own question, rudely, because I still want to hear Jake's answer, my relationship with therapy is that I I am very um, suspicious of it Uh because as an anthropologist, my knowledge of the history of psychology is that it is a science that is not about healing human experience, but it is about assimilating human experience into what is quote unquote normal. Interesting. for me that doesn't help you know like i've had like yeah uh, uh what is it like freudian therapist and shit and i'm like dude if you think you i'm obsessed with my dad. dad yeah i'm like you're obsessed with my dad you fucking idiot <laughs> oh <my> actually <laughs> it was obsessed with me okay exactly <laughs> like you're you're obsessed with your mom and you're projecting that shit with me like uh so literally the reason that i would like to go to therapy and that i'm currently looking for a therapist is actually because I am trying to live the kind of life that nobody in my family has ever lived before me. I'm the first Same. in my life. No secrets. Yeah, no, no secrets. Fucking, no acting. You. I'm the first woman in my family that hasn't had children, that hasn't gotten married, Same. that is not religious, that has gotten an education beyond high school. And this is not a judgment on anyone before me, but it, I just feel like a responsibility to live a different kind of life. And I don't have a role model yeah. for that. And it does leave an emptiness in your life. That's the thing. When I make fun of trads, it is in a good nature way because you guys have the upper hand. You have role models and set paths that you can walk. And it's so clear to you what what kind of partner you should get and what kind of life you should live. And you have no empathy whatsoever for someone like me who has to carve their own path 
literally from like 15. <laughs> you know we have a mean? lot in common, you and yeah. me, except for the education shit. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of us. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's not even racial. I think it's very class-based, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's very, yeah. It's like Well, and they also say ADHD experience. people like to run their own shit. Like yeah. Most people who have attention deficit, what, any of yeah. these things, they like to be their own boss. And so having a, a mentor or somebody that you look up to might not be in your, it just might not be no, how you operate. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a being the boss kind of person. It's really not. I default become the boss in situations because I don't have a problem with taking control and like seeing the wider picture. Yeah. That. But I don't seek to be the person in control. I very much like to be the background person that observes everything. But being your own boss <laughs> isn't a control thing in terms of other people. I think I have right. this. No, I think no, I'd no. Probably, it's about controlling yourself and your own environment. I think I could probably get diagnosed with ADHD if I wanted to yeah. because I think I exactly have what you're describing, which is that I purposely like spent my whole life working towards self-employment because I was yep, like, yeah. this operation that I run that's all rickety and bent weird and shit that doesn't fit into like workplaces, yeah. I could totally make it work. But it has to be like a singularly encapsulated operation that I'm in charge of because if I had a job right now, I would have a drinking problem by the socially defined nature of a drinking problem. But I don't because I don't have to get up until noon because I am my own boss. Right. So like I have had 40 jobs and I've been fired 10 times. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did the research. I've been writing it down. Yeah. Like, I, okay, like, so I don't. Com- so either jobs love me or they hate me. I am extremely stable. I <laughs> have broken. <laughs> Stay, like I've stayed at jobs for years. I was talking to somebody actually in DMs today who he also worked at Starbucks. And I'm like, no, I've literally opened multiple Starbucks around the country. I established a national museum for the biggest tragedy in our lifetime. I have worked, you know, like I'm like, no, I, I achieve stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm OK. And so that's like, um, I don't I just don't think that we can always just rely on you like. I don't have a desire to be my own boss. I am very good at working as part of a team. If anything, uh, I don't want to start the PMC conversation, but if anything, you guys, I have the problem where I'm like a working class person who joins a staff as like, I'm a cog in the machine. I'm with my brethren. Right. And most of the time I get mad at a boss and I take the boss down because they are sexist or racist or some fucked up shit. And I go to the DM and I go to whatever. And like every promotion I've ever had is because I take down the person above us who's like fucking. That's never worked for me. I've tried it. I'm like, it's fired. Corey, I've gotten three bosses. This is because probably I don't have a degree. I've gotten three bosses fired in my life. Yeah, fuck. But, I wish. But listen, what happens then? Oh, sorry for all future people who thought of hiring me. It's not like I set out to fire people. <laughs> like, oh, I've never been fired, by the way. People who want to hire me. It's just Jake. I am not understand. an alcoholic. No, Jake, you understand. <laughs> for no, anyone no, no. think I have to get a job with them in the future when I my job no, falls apart. Do not listen to that thing I said. To me. <laughs> this is important to me because Jake. You know, like the way that you and I both are about comedy, where you're like, I see it and I have to call it out. Yeah. Right? This is literally how I've been at every job. Sure. At Starbucks, at Urban Outfitters, like every retail job that I had, I'm not going to fucking be okay with you like shorting people's hours and fucking touching the women inappropriately. And yeah, Sorry, no uh, benefits. We're yeah. just going to yeah. shorten you down no. to 32 hours, which is just under. Dude, and to be honest with you, like, again, from a place of privilege of like, I was never the hot girl on the staff, so I was not the one whose hours were getting cut if I didn't like give the manager a blowjob or whatever, right? Which meant 
I was the fucking one that could be like, yeah, fuck you. I saw what you did. That is wrong. I'm going to go tell your fucking boss. And I got managers fired. <laughs> I straight up got multiple God, managers I fired I in my life. Where I, 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 want, I wish I had that power. I really <laughs> it's do. It's terrible because I feel like, uh, so listen, I taught when working at Starbucks, I taught. So because I got them fired, I got promoted, basically, <laughs> because they're like, OK, well, you could do the job better than them. You get promoted. So now I'm a manager. So I went from we working class, <laughs> managerial class, right, <laughs> which everybody now on the left frames as like parasites who are li- making a living off of the working class below them. Yeah. But. And every fucking job, I've been an enemy of my peer managers and above. Like, I've been the one that makes them feel bad about how they are cheating their workers. (laughs) And I'm like the one that's like in the meeting, be like, no, you can't do that. And you can't fucking cut people's hours and you can't whatever. And so I'm living this existence where all my peers hate me. It's the same thing as in comedy. The bookers, (laughs) you know, whatever. They all think I'm a fucking bitch. But people that are working class or performers think that I am this person that's like some of them, let me say some of them, that's like skating off of having clout or like feeling powerful over other people or whatever the fuck. And it's like, no, factory. I, that's how I remember you. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that's Louisa. Oh, you got to impress her. And I'm like, okay. And I think this is our first conversation yeah. like ever. Yeah. And, uh, I was so intimidated by you because of the way people spoke about you. And, and I, was I literally like, did not nothing, fair. <laughs> I did nothing. To no, do you that. just held a little bit of power. <sighs> just a little bit of power. And that is enough to intimidate. And then what, but then what's fucked up is I try, I have always been hyper-conscious of whatever little power I had holding it responsibly. And therefore I've been judgmental of the people around me who are not responsible with their power. And so it does irk me yeah. that, comics will put me in the same category as the people who are trying to take advantage of them because it's yeah. no I'll tell you there's some bad the bookers same. out there and I've worked for them yeah yeah exactly but anyway Jake to return to the question don't think you got away what is your <laughs> what is your personal relationship with Jesus no just kidding uh, <laughs> with, with Star Wars yeah, yeah with, ha- with like the idea of therapy is it something that you you are seeking and why or do you reject it and why like what's okay. your fucking deal this is gonna be a chunk so give me a yeah yeah second Go, be here. A paragraph, paragraph talk it up <laughs> thank you um, it. so so I, I have a lot of thoughts about this because um, I I mean, when I went to college, I majored in psychology. I got pretty interested in it. Not that it makes me an authority on it or anything, but I think I got a lot of perspective on it. And the other thing is, like, you know, I was in therapy a bit when I was a kid. But I think the reason I was in it is because my parents uh, believe in authority quite a bit. And so they believe, like, you know, I... I now that I'm older and I'm talking to my parents about, you know, why do they believe certain things or whatever, I realize a lot of it, I think, comes from, like, the immigrant experience of coming here and then, you know, you're, like, you're trying to be a model, like, minority and stuff like that. And so um, th- there's, there's a lot going on where, like, basically, when I was a kid, I remember getting thrown in therapy a lot. And the reason I was thrown in it is because my parents didn't like the way I was acting. So the, they treated it as... There's something wrong with the kid. You fucking go fix him, therapist. It's like a punishment. It's kind of a punishment. It's also kind of a disease. Like, oh, it's like you have the flu. Go to the Pyramid. doctor. And yeah. then the, and mm-hmm. it's like, 
Well, the thing that I was saying was not, I don't think I was wrong about. It was something I believed that was in conflict with, you know, the world around me and stuff like that. And uh, so I remember immediately going, oh, this is dumb. This is like actually rather insulting the way people tend to like throw you into the mental asylum and go, you're a problem. Like, this is a problem. Take care of it so I don't have to think about it or whatever. And I think that still happens a lot. But it's really complicated because, uh, you know, there are ways in which that actually is good. Like, um, you know, I'm a history nerd and shit. And like one of the things that Reagan did to fuck this country up more than like any other place on Earth was uh, he got rid of that. Like you used to be able to throw crazy people. You used to be able to admit someone if you had someone in your family who was like a harm to themselves, like a threat to themselves. You can't do that anymore. They have to sign off on themselves, which is like roundabout how we ended up deconstructing the whole like safety net of having like a mental health services and stuff. And also why we just have so many homeless people on the street now and shit like that. So there's like, there's a utility to that, right? But there's also like a misuse of it. And I think for that reason, there's also a utility to therapy, but there's also hella misuses to it. And I am very skeptical about pharmaceuticals and uh, therapy and everything because it all depends on how you approach it. And like you noticed earlier when I was talking about my CPAP machine, the first thing I did was catch myself in something that people do in therapy all the time, which is they go, this was a source of all my problems. I'm going to go yeah. crazy with this and use it to explain everything that's ever happened, which is like you can do that with any drug if you want. And you can, you can honestly go to therapy uh, and have these like philosophical confirmation biases where like you know that you want the person to diagnose you with ADD so you tell them the things that you know are ADD and stuff like that and I really for that reason I'm like really fucking pull back and I really am careful with what I put in my body as like a like a chemical yeah. because I'm very sensitive to a lot of the shit um, not that you know I, I don't know like uh, maybe yeah. it's pretty stupid that I also self-regulate myself with like alcohol and stuff like that you know it's not good either but it all just is Oof. what it is um, can I you know what it is second? can I interrupt you for a second okay sure mm -hmm. just to give you like a, a backwards point of view yeah opposite which is I have the opposite, which is like because I have done acid and mushrooms and mescaline and peyote and like all the fucking drugs, I am I am less suspicious of drugs than Damn. I am of therapists. Okay, <laughs> and and hear me out. Hear sure. me out. I had my primary care physician uh, was the last person in my adult life to like convince me to try antidepressants again, and literally the way that she did it was that she got me with science. You guys, she goes. She was like, I think that, you, you know, what you need is you need to take this antidepressant, whatever the fuck. And I was like, I don't think so. Like, I've tried them before when I was like in college and whatever, and they were horrible. They didn't help. And she looked at me and she goes, if I if I was standing here right now telling you that your kidney does not work correctly and you need to take this medicine, you would not be questioning me. Right. But right now, I'm telling you your brain is not working correctly and you need to take this medicine and you're questioning me. Yep. Think about why that is. And I was like, oh, fuck, this bitch totally got me with yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn me, brain. Yeah. And it really <laughs> got me to the point of understanding of like, dude, if I'm willing to take drugs to have a good time, I'm yes. willing to take drugs to try to fix my organs, right? Yeah. But my suspicion and paranoia comes on the other side from therapists where because I think that a lot of them are dumb, <laughs> you know, like I think a lot of them are not as smart as me. I also think a lot of them... Um, I guess like ascribe, ascribe to like forms of therapy that are norm normative. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're mm -hmm. about making you heteronormative or like middle class, fucking capitalist normal. You know what I mean? 
and so they want to start these conversations with you about like, are you sure you don't want to have kids? Are you sure that you actually feel oh, hostile towards shit. the state? And I'm like, no, I'm sure that yeah. I don't want kids and I'm hostile towards the state. I'm <laughs> like, can we start at how do I live a fucking life post those Dude, my realizations? therapist is Christian. <laughs> I have a Christian-based no. therapist and sometimes she'll share vi- Bible verses with me. Oh my God, I would and shoot myself in the face right now. I've walked out of therapy I didn't do this like on purpose. randomly assigned Medicaid therapist because I just went in and there was like a huge crucifix. I was like, ain't yeah. gonna work. That's what go. happened to me. But I actually really like her and she doesn't judge me sure. and she lets me curse and she lets yeah. me talk about weed and, and, well, see, and uh, you know I said you... Jesus Christ to her she bat a fucking eye and mm. I was like alright bitch you're pretty cool well if you don't think you're the therapist cool. is going to be the end all be all of all your problems then it's actually yeah. much easier to talk to somebody yeah. like that yeah. because they're just a person exactly. right well, so, it also helps all my Christian guilt you know my former sure. last that's, Christian that's what guilt I was going to say is that it probably mm-hmm. serves some other thing in YouTube well okay so like to just get back to what I was talking about like you know I studied a lot of like pharmacology stuff and like biopsych and shit like that so I really got into like the nitty gritty of like how they develop drugs and I remember having this really big realization in college where like people really want to believe and they that's how they sell a lot of this stuff and if you, if people knew how they come up with a lot of this shit I think you would probably approach it a lot more skeptically because yeah. most of the things like you were saying earlier Louisa are developed like on accident like for, they were trying to make a blood mm-hmm. thinner and then they found out that it cures depression yep. they go okay well in tests you know sure it just works but the thing yeah. is sometimes this shit really does work and so you mm-hmm. kind of have to find this middle ground where you're like not a complete person who's you're devotee. not completely throwing yeah. it yeah you're not a devotee but you're mm-hmm. also not like a fucking total a skeptic because like you're yeah. not going to benefit yeah. from anything and also you do live in a world that they have created materially that makes it to where you kind of need these drugs and stuff to get by yeah. so like no the, I couldn't the, rationalize it as a pothead as someone who did coke a lot in my late 30s because uh, I was working in New York <laughs> at a restaurant yeah. Um, <laughs> That's part but, of it. You know, somebody who, who self-medicates <laughs> like, already and has already yeah. done AD, uh, Adderall. Why not, as a, as why a yeah. not take drug. the professional recommendation Coke, for self-medication? Yeah. But all Coke these and, meds have helped me, so I, I kind of can't... I'm like, give me more meds, I sure, guess. You, I don't know. They're going to lower my antidepressants down to 40, like, instead of 60. Like, they are... Uh, they're little scientists. Yeah, no, I mean, Coke in restaurants is like steroids in baseball. Like, if you're not doing it, you're not going to be able to keep up with everyone. Yeah, you're not going to make the tipsy. Dude, I was the coke check. I was the poorest person on staff. (laughs) And my boss would just hand me a bag of fucking Coke and we'd go do it in the coat room. So, you know. She's dead now. (laughs) With therapy, I'm also pretty skeptical about it. And I've had people like, um... I've just had people where I'm like, yeah, I can tell that you're trying to sell me the thing or like, oh, you're you just think about things a certain way. And you're like trying to diagnose people from a really psychiatric. You want us all to be cookie cutter. We're not something Mm -hmm. like that. And like I've had like I think I've had I think bipolar runs in my family and I've had like a diagnosis of whatever the thing right. Like bipolar light. I can't remember what the technical term for it is, but I kind of have that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, White claw bipolar. You know, (laughs) the one that's kind of the same, but not. Yeah. But um, I have somebody right now I actually really like because I kind of figured this out. And it's, it's, it's kind of I feel I feel the same way about it as I feel like about like news where I'm like, you just need to be really skeptical. But you also need to take stuff in and you just have to I'm develop gonna this. Pee, so I'm going to run away, but I'll be back. Sure. Like in, you want me to pause? I can pause. I'm going to pee too. So, yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is like I, I kind of have this relationship with therapy now where I don't think I'm doing the pitfall thing that you can fall into where you're like. 
you know, I believe everything that this person is saying because it's like kind of a trap because they're also just another human who has like a fucking yeah. degree and whatever. They went to college for a liberal arts thing. It's, you know, it's yeah. a fallible person. And some people like fall in love with their therapist and they just like believe they're God Crazy, right? just because. Yeah. And honestly, I think this is kind of a class thing. It was just kind of bougie where they're just like, oh, they have a degree, so they must be a genius. And it's like, you know, that's NPR people believe shit like that. I'm a poor person. I don't believe anything. Listen. I'm going to interject here and also say that I had a conversation today with somebody that pointed out that I think, like, the richer you are, the less you actually have, like, interpersonal connections with people. Right. So when you go to therapy, especially as a very young age, if your parents don't show you affection and you have this therapist who's like, I just want to hear everything that happened in your day. It's everything you were you. craving. Oh, yeah, yeah. do it all the time. Yeah. So, so that's where transference comes from. It's a very middle, upper class thing no. of, like... That's exactly. You don't have those interpersonal relationships that I think lower class people do. Dude, okay, so um, I mean, you know, I'm like by virtue of I don't know, like being a comedian or COVID or whatever. Like, does I came around to that? Maybe I'm fucking bougie now. I don't know. Maybe that's what I'm saying. But like, I literally, I, I recognize that I'm doing this when I talk to my therapist sometimes, and I'm just like, well, that was a podcast. Why the fuck did I just talk to you and tell you about my day? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? But also, yeah, you so could have told me. <laughs> so I, but I know that therapy, like the core foundation part of it that makes sense is like you cannot work through things alone you're a social creature so it is almost like a weird Philip K. Dickian like dystopian bourgeois thing that we literally yeah. have a profession that is just being a social anchor for other people to bounce stuff off of and so for that reason I've had a lot of therapy mm -hmm. sessions where I've gone in and been like look I think a thing and I know that if I just tell myself it's not true that it's not going to work so I'm literally just going to say it to you and then you're going to say back to me that's not true and then it's I'm going to be like true. cool we did it <laughs> And it literally works because yeah. I'm like, it's, Wait, I just need a person. The, what is the difference between that and a prostitute? Maybe nothing. <laughs> like, I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean. I feel like it's getting somebody to re to affirm a uh, basic need of you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know. what does that mean, though? What are the implications That's there? what I mean. I, I'm neither reducing... <laughs> it's it's the, a love language, I'm I not, think. I'm not reducing the sex worker or the... No. Therapist. Yeah, maybe you're elevating. I think elevating it's a love language. I'm equating I think it's something them. that I'm turns you on. Yeah. yeah. I'm equating them in a, in a way where, like, I think that therapists are providing a similar service to sex workers, but it mm -hmm. is about your brain. Yeah. You know I mean? Like, dude, that's what Sopranos is about, literally. Is, yeah, but here's the thing, though. I really, really, really hate Therapists on therapist? TV shows oh, okay. <laughs> because uh, honestly, between that and my mom telling me that uh, she'd take me to therapy to straighten me out, uh, <laughs> I love your face. <laughs> like, oh. uh, like things like that. I'm just like it made me not see a therapist until I was suicidal, th literally three years ago. Literally three to four years ago, I started seeing a therapist for the first fucking time. Yeah. yeah. And that's because I didn't know what else to fucking do. Yeah. And I needed, I'd already, my friends had left me. I've, I've still, I've lost a lot of friends uh, in the past like four or five years because I either didn't pay any attention to them, dumped them, like dumped on yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, physically, just emotionally, just vomited on them. Yeah. Um, and never, paid attention to listen to what they had to say. And I know that because I have said it in therapy and I went, you realized it. Yeah. And it's, I love, that's my favorite thing about therapy is my epiphanies that were already in my goddamn brain. I just needed to say them out loud until 
they rolled into a, something that was that made sense. It's really a great thing to get a degree in because you can literally just be that for like 20 people and probably not have to yeah. really do much. And yeah. uh, it totally works, you know. A good therapist, though, doesn't act like they do on TV. They don't go, they don't tell you what's, here's what's wrong with you. Right, that, yeah. uh, that, that shit doesn't happen. They're like, how do you feel about that? Right. Or well, why, why, do, why would you say something like that? It's or, kind, you, you know what I mean? You know what's a good comparison is uh, tarot. When you do tarot cards. I love tarot cards. In TV, though, it's like, you're going to die. Like, they tell you your future. <laughs> the death card means death. Yeah. And no, all, it doesn't. in reality, when you do it in the way that I, at least I, it makes sense to me and that I, as a Bushwick dumbass, you know, witchy person, like I've seen other people do is like, like, you literally are just doing the, how do you feel about that? This is what this card means. Does that mean <laughs> yeah. something to you? That's, that's you're like the great thing about tarot, because it. it almost is a therapy session, because you're is. forced to really think about, like, when I do, like, a three-card spread, it's been a while since I've done it, because yeah. I wouldn't touch cards when I was depressed, and because I didn't want that at all. And so I would do a three-card spread when I was feeling good. Before You know, this is before, this is now, this is the future. Yeah. And when I see that on TV, like anyone doing therapy or tarot wrong, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, it's so annoying. It's like when you I'm, see someone doing stand-up on TV and you're like, God, that's not what it looks like. Or a courtroom. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Or a cop. Like when they show propaganda and I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, look at that cop fucking saving the day. No, yeah. that doesn't fucking happen. I hate to be the one that's like, uh, I'm so cool right now, but... <laughs> I love that you're equating tarot and therapy because my problem with both of them is that I think I'm smarter than both of them. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, not in, I'm not being superior right no, now. No, I get it. In any way, I just mean like both when I sit down in front of a person who's going, I'm going to read your tarot cards or when I sit in front of a fucking therapist who's like, I have a therapy degree. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. I am like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, I'm just like... What the fuck are you talking about? Okay, let me tell you guys one of my favorite experiences with therapy was when I worked at the 9-11 Museum, right? Where my job was literally every day to meet 9-11 uh, survivors and family members of the dead people and first responders that made it through and lost all their friends and whatever the fuck. I went, like, I was like, okay, I obviously need therapy because of my, my, <laughs> yeah. like, like my 9 to 5, 45 hours a week is absorbing other people's trauma and pain and like trying to like formulate it into how do we exhibit it in this museum. How did you even do this for 40 hours a week? Six years I did this, okay? And then I decided like, okay, I need therapy. Like there was this whole thing, which actually there's like a worker's rights side of it where the curatorial team, the collections team, the oral history team and me, we got together and we tried to get them, get the museum to give us therapy and like um, guidance. The 9-11 museum. Yeah, because hey. we, we, were, we are sociologists and anthropologists trained in collecting information, right? But we're not trained in like helping people deal with their trauma. Yeah, they want right? a fucking hug. Yeah, dude. No, not a hug. Oh, my God, Corey. I had like a 60-year-old NYPD retired fire captain crying in my office like bawling because i was the first person that he ever spoke to about how he felt about 9-11 in 10 oh years so i'm sitting there trying to like make this man feel better about all the young men that he watched die and like all the fucking 
And I'm just like, I am not equipped for this. So we tried to yeah. talk to the senior staff about like, you need to provide us with resources for like where to send these people to help us to absorb all these things. They were like, no, that's not your job. Just collect the stories. <laughs> like they literally like didn't give up. No, one. at the very least, hand them like a, a business card that says, if you want to further discuss this, here's a fucking crisis helpline. Here's something. I, 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 that's so irresponsible. Yeah, it was really bad. Wait, why was it telling you this? I already forgot now. Because uh, 9-11, you never forgot. I know, I never forgot. But what was before go. that, Jake? Uh, I don't remember, man. We don't have ADHD. Dude, we like all have ADHD. Million <laughs> and, I, and literally, I cannot not bring up 9-11. This is part of my DNA now. <laughs> Uh, if you want me to talk about the podcast, I can continue. Yes, please, no. uh, I do okay. have a podcast. Let's, it's let's called wrap You're it Fine. Up. You're Fine. Tell us. And you host it with Elsa. On Elsa Wave. And uh, Elsa also goes by Eli. But uh, I, 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 I call them Elsa. Uh, uh, but what we do is uh, they have a different experience with mental health where um, they have addiction issues. And I have experiences where I have uh, PTSD and, and all that fun stuff. And now, and I, Elsa also thinks that they have ADHD, but we'll be, we'll go on that path later. But you're both um, a similar age, yeah. I'm actually ten years older than her. Oh shit! Yeah. Okay, great, Sorry. great, perfect, perfect. Um, no, I love so, that range. Yeah, I'm like forty three, and I believe they're like thirty two or something. Yeah. Um, and my own husband's like nine years younger than me too, but yeah. uh, nobody knows because I look so young. Shout anyway. out to us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't go out in the sun. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh, we used to have like, I mean, we still do. We'd have phone calls where we would just fucking vent at each other about what's going on. And, uh, you know, especially with them in New York and me here. And, you know, we still talk all the time. And they were like, people would listen to this shit. People would listen to this shit. And I was like, okay, but I don't have enough spoons to produce anything. <laughs> I can, I can host and I can make content. That's it. That's all I can do. So I went into it just going, okay, I already wanted my own project, but I didn't want to be the Cinderblock Comedy Festival producer in this project. I wanted to be the talent. Yeah. Because finally it's something I'm not afraid to talk about. It's, it's something that I'm, uh, you know, I have stage fright naturally. Uh, and so but I this only is did... like a real part of you. So you can, yes. you can so about it. I only did stand up though to confront my fear of being on stage. And uh, so, and after a while, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. But it's not my, it's not my first love. Comedy is making sketches and talking to, you know, talking about my experiences because I've me to lived say, a I, life. I love these kind of admissions. I think that n- if you don't love stand-up, you don't need to be doing it. Please stop. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's no. great. If you, you don't move on it, and do you... the things you're good at and that you love. Yeah. I never loved it. I love the community. Yeah. I, I love making people laugh. And I love that feeling when I got off stage that I knew I nailed it. I love yeah. doing stand-up. And I can still up. get that from a podcast. I love doing stand-up yeah. and I hate the community. So we're opposites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we just decided that we were going to do that. And I am technically uh, inept. And that might be part of my ADHD. I like My brain will shut off when anyone tries to show me tech stuff. And I, I'm doing how my lo- best. How long have you guys been doing it? Uh, we have been doing it for about five weeks now, oh, uh, but okay. we were, we were in the planning stage for pretty much this beginning, since the beginning of this year. Okay. No, I love, I love this idea. So, so let me ask you, I guess the corniest question that I think people expected would have probably come up at the beginning. And it's a question to both of you as performers. Mm-hmm. 
what is your take on, um, I guess, like comedy and mental health, right? And I mean this in the sense of like, one of the most common tropes we hear in comedy is that people are afraid to tackle their mental health issues because they think that that will tamper their creativity. Well, the Brody Stevens Brody. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a real thing. Greg Giraldo. It's like a bunch of them that yeah. died that we lost because they Steve didn't they yeah, didn't address I, fuck, the actual problem that they were going through. And that I think a lot of us know people that they're not addressing what they're actually suffering through and yes. they're deflecting through comedy. And I guess I'm revealing my point of view. But how do you like Jake as a performer? What's your what's your take on like? mental health and its compatibility with humor and your career as a comic. Yeah, well, I think, unfortunately, there's some truth to it, right? And, like, whenever this comes up, whenever something tragic happens, people will come out of the woodwork and they'll say, like, hey, we need to denounce this myth and yada, yada, yada. And, like, oh, come on, you know, comics aren't supposed to be these, like, you know, sad, fucking cynical people. Robin Williams, fucking after all this. These people that I'm describing are often, like, the least funny fucking people. And you look at that and you go, fuck, they just proved the point with themselves yeah. and like the thing is yeah there are a lot of Robin Williams and a lot of Brody Stevens and stuff like that and it, it th- that doesn't that makes it a lot less easy to just compartmentalize and sweep under the rug like that like there is yeah. some truth me personally I used to really lean into it because I was aware of some mental health stuff that was probably going on with me and there is like a way that you could sublimate it and make it really interesting after a while I think I had to lean away from that stuff because politically or just like interpersonally if you identify as mentally ill people will just use that to discount everything that you say and then they they just throw you in a fucking mental asylum so i had to be like this is more complicated which is why i kind of in a person who believes in like neurodiversity is a better way of explaining it and stuff like that like i'm not coming from a place of someone who's disabled i am coming from a place of someone who is experiencing things and thinking things yeah so that being said the the the, where the career of a comedian comes into conflict and when it crashes and smashes with then like becomes a thing that you know cannot perpetuate itself or else you either die or do something else is you hit a wall eventually where you go can i fucking make this functional and make it into a life like the type of shit that you would be louisa talk about a lot where it's like we're carving our own path and we're figuring out some fucking way to make all this stuff work or can you cram it into like the the framework of a you know a nine to five and a traditional play and it's like you're going to lose stuff either way, you know? Yeah. But you just, you, I mean, you literally, it's Kurt Cobain, man. Burnout, fade away. Like, you can't, you can't do that forever, which is it's why. It's not sustainable. As, like, yeah. you know, a person who makes stuff, I think you just have to make peace with, like, the fact that, like, you're going to have, like, this fucking five or ten year span where you're like, that's when I really was just doing it. On you know? fire, yeah. yeah. And, and then now I already we're, lived now, that five now years. Now <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And now I'm a husband. But also, okay, I don't know. As, like, a person who's, all of the generations before me, you guys, like, I don't think you guys have experienced this. Like, I am literally amongst the oldest people to ever live in my family. Like, I, I'm i the first American in my family. And before me, everybody died in their mid-30s. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think my grandma, my grandma was like 57 or some shit when she died. It's like very strange when I meet Americans who have like parents who are as old as my grandparents. You know what I mean? Yeah very strange and I don't know it's not the same kind of experience of just being uh, randomly lost in the whole thing it's like no I have the opportunity to live a whole different thing it 
can be construed as mental illness <laughs> to not want to just follow the path that is traditional. But I think it could also be like, no, it's not mental illness, but I also need support well, for my mental health I, because I am choosing to live outside what is traditionally accepted. This is what I wanted to get to. This is what I've been working towards mm-hmm. the whole fucking thing. I, just, yeah. I want to get this point out of the way and then I'm done for the yeah, episode. Go, but like, go. so you remember a while back when that Twitter account P. Moskowitz, that person got canceled mm-hmm. on Twitter because they were talking about how, um, like ADHD and things like that. You can look at them as a, like a, like capitalistically, capitalistically defined disorder. Right. Like, and people were saying, you know, this is too much of a hot take. Don't be an annoying Twitter communist where you say under communism, people wouldn't have the ADHD or whatever, because it's like a fucking (laughs) real thing. But honestly, there is a degree to which I kind of agreed with uh, her. I think she's a trans woman now uh, in that, like there is some degree to which, on its face also you can look at this and really just go wait a minute yeah this isn't a fucking thing in a laboratory mental illness is socially defined in terms of whether you're a productive member of society right exactly so there is no such thing as a healthy person what is defined as a healthy person is this vague like oh you go to work every day and you procreate and you do all the they live stuff but there's no actual lab test for like oh you feel good inside and all this stuff and so if, if you understand things in those terms I think that you know, there's a lot more space to navigate carving out your own way and going, I'm going to make a thing that works for me. And so like, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think I said this already, but like certain things are socially defined. I think I used to be an alcoholic and I'm not now because I don't have a life (laughs) that would conflict with drinking from time to time. It's just like a hobby now. Well, I just, I just fucking (laughs) figured out a way. I agree. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) So drinking for you is like comedy for me. Yeah. It's just a hobby. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And I'm only cutting out cigarettes because it's bad for my health. I'm seeing like a real material reason that I shouldn't smoke. So these things are movable and like, they're not static. Like they all, they all come down to being defined by whether or not they work for you or don't work Mm -hmm. for you. And there's no like one true kind of mental, you know, state you're really supposed to be living in. This is obviously like not completely expandable. Like they're not going to make an argument that like a serial killer, as long as they never kill, I don't don't know. Like, you know, they're great or whatever. Like they're going to be fine. Well, I I don't know. This, this raises philosophical (laughs) questions, which are innate. No, it's fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Is it psychology? I love this. Corey, are you going to be our mental health um, (laughs) correspondent? If you wanted, I would do it in a heartbeat. You can come back and tell us about your observations. I got to tell you how focused I am on this this Adderall. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like hyper focused on your guys's like stories. I'm like, yeah, tell me, tell me. Understanding though, what I'm getting is understanding that, that like mental health or unhealth is socially defined makes it to where Adderall is not good or bad. It's, it's a right, tool. It's, nice. it's the yeah, tool it's to tool. get to where you need to be or not. Hopefully. And so it's different in every person's situation, yeah. whether it's good yeah. or it depends the play, the role that it plays. Most in people your can't arsenal. smoke this much weed. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, people watching Thank me smoke weed and they're like, fuck, that's a lot. And I'm like, I'm still fine. I'm fine. Because my brain's fucking different. I can't smoke but, it at all. Uh, it, it, to answer your question, Louisa, for me, for comedy, I've always known I was different. First off, I've never written long-form jokes. My, all my jokes have always been, uh, I'm very Bergstrom style. Um, I love that. <laughs> I'm very, oh, uh, oh, my God. Uh, I'm, I'm that one, that's, 
that's what I love. And listen, Steve Hernandez, friend of the uh-huh. show, he's been on. We love him, LA comic. He was hanging out with me in the backyard this week, and he again made fun of me because he he calls it like my fandom for little jokes. <laughs> he's like, oh, you just love the little jokes comic. They're like. Yeah, I like tight jokes, man. Like, I don't know what well, to tell yeah. you. Yeah, I, I appreciate a good story. You don't lose focus. I, I love Jake, a good paragraph talker. I understand <laughs> these are also good things. But why are you so mad that I like fucking a nice little tight joke? Why you little, little, little bit of jokes. Yeah. I, I used to say I, I do Laffy Taffy comedy. I love that. Um, so I used to go up and do, uh, I could do, like, if you give me five minutes, I have jokes, right? Yeah. But the problem is, is I don't remember the jokes. If I'm on stage, I freeze. So yeah. I'd always go up with notes and, uh, and not notes, not my jokes written out, but like a keyword. Right. Yeah. And as I start, you know, performing more and more and more, I got people going, why are you using notes? Why are you using notes? Why? And I tried to do a comedy uh, uh, competition and I got, uh, you know, disqualified basically yeah. for using notes and was told later on, only Janine can use notes. <laughs> like, are you fucking serious? God. And Shit's now dumb. what I did was a fine Sharpie. And because I have tattoos around my arms and hey, a lot of them are scratched, <laughs> I wrote with a fine Sharpie. Yeah. I would write my entire set from, he- from my- all the way <laughs> to my wrist. And I'd hold the mic and I'd look over. I'd know my next fucking joke. <laughs> but those are ways that I was able to get around those things because I knew I was different. I didn't know yeah. why I couldn't memorize my own jokes. Yeah. I didn't know I was, uh, the order in which I wanted them to do. And I, I couldn't be that guy who got on stage and just did an hour and never looked at his fucking notes. Yeah. I couldn't do it. And I, I'm different. And I just accepted that. I think I fucking understand. And that's good. And, and I think that's what you should all accept is you're like, it's not about fitting into anybody else's framework of well, how they do comedy. But that, that's where mm. gatekeepers are cut, d- yeah. the dumb part of this equation because a lot yeah. of them, like, it doesn't matter. You should just let yeah. experimental comics do experimental that's, comedy. Okay. And, like, that's what I'm saying, Jake. So anybody that thinks I'm, I'm, a, different. I'm a gatekeeper. Literally, I'm not being like, oh, this is what I like. I'm being like, oh, this is this seems like this person is being genuinely themselves. Yeah, but you're yes. a good I booker. I would like to put that. <laughs> but the I problem know, with being genuinely that's, myself. That's what makes me mad to be lumped in with the people that you should be mad at because I'm also mad at them. But right. But don't put me in the same category. Oh, Louisa, <laughs> I do a podcast with you. I like you. I'm I know, mad at you, those other you people. Personally, you personally and Corey because she's on this podcast and the people listening, you get it. But the rest of people in comedy think that I'm like the same as these club bookers or these fucking festival people. And I'm like, do you understand they hate me because I make them feel bad because I make them feel like I am more pure about comedy than they are. And they're like, you know me bookers hate my guts. Yeah. And they never see me do comedy just because and, of my festival. OK, but Corey, not only bookers hate your guts, but then there's comics being like, oh, she's just like trying to fucking get ahead and do whatever. And so it's like it, it comes from both sides. Right? It and absolutely I, does. And I think that that's something comics don't experience unless they're both producers and comics. And comics are idiots. I can't see the whole picture. Yeah, dude. You have no, an experience very, where I'm getting vision. criticized from both sides of like yeah. industry being like you're not industry enough and comics being like you're too industry. That, that oh, thing yeah, you said about... <laughs> 
that thing you said about Janine Garofalo is kind of yeah. interesting to me. Like, it's a big, I think it's a very illuminating point, which is where a booker goes, oh, she, she Janine Garofalo is allowed She's to allowed use notes. That was but the you're San not. Francisco Comedy Festival. That, San Francisco Comedy Competition. That, I got told that I was disqualified in the first round. That tells you a lot about what that point, that person's point of view is. Because I've had, I remember I had the same thought when something happened I to me. I did good, though. I had a fucking booker one time go, uh, you're not allowed to wear a hoodie. Shane Moss is allowed to wear a hoodie, but you're not. And I was like, why? We're both like similar people. Like, what does it matter? Yeah, like we're the same. They age. were like, yeah, like, and I realized only make an exception for the headliner, and that's it. Well, I realized why they were making the exception for the headliner was because that they like bought the idea that this person was like an acceptable person based on the fact that they were the headliner. So there's like a circular logic yeah. to it. So I basically, when I, I remember thinking that and going, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this city and then I'm going to get famous and then I'm going to come back <laughs> and you're going to go to some comic and go, Jake's allowed to wear a hoodie, Jake's but you're not allowed to wear a hoodie. And like, yeah. This is fucking, fucking stupid, shorts. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, why? You should just let people wear oh, hoodies. God. It doesn't fucking matter, you know? I don't <laughs> care about hats. I don't care about Can shorts. I, say something I don't care though? about hoodies. This is I just want this is all of us uh, operating under American exceptionalism, exceptionalism, where we just want there to be rules, but then we get to be the one that gets selected to supersede the rules. It's messed up, man. We're a continuation of the cycle. I'm telling you, we, there is no way to be happy about this. Um, <laughs> that's how I want to close it. It's just like, yeah. this is bad for everyone. <laughs> that's great. I, I will tell you this, that when I was really depressed, I, I purposely got off the stage. I stopped doing it because yeah. I couldn't. I was misfiring with the audience. Yeah. And so for these people, like, uh, you know, people who I love, like Richard Bain, it was just his uh, anniversary of his suicide yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, just people that were so fucking talented on stage, but didn't Absolutely. get the help that they fucking need. And for me, I just cut myself off from comedy because I didn't want people to see how bad I was. But that was and probably it's, it's, it's weird. life. It might have. It might have. It might have. If That's I kept bombing, I, I would have killed myself. Well, yeah, I mean, to, there is a certain degree to which I think, especially with that stuff we were talking about earlier with like the, you know, can you sublimate? Can you continue to make comedy out of pain and stuff like yeah. that? Honestly, a lot of times stand up comedy is unhealthy. People should quit. People should not fucking yeah. chase and it forever. They themselves instead of finding the funny in their trauma. Well, a lot yeah. of times. They can, you can still find the funny in your trauma, but just fix it. Also, fix yourself. Yeah. Deal like, with it. Most, know why you're the way you are. Just by virtue of the fact that most people aren't funny, you probably aren't the Greg Giraldo that is like, you, you're going to yeah. make something beautiful if you continue to do it like that. Totally. You might be, and that'll happen but to that not. person. Yeah. But like, don't ask yourself. One in a million man. Ask yourself whether you are just telling yourself that to continue your addiction to something that's actually hurting you, you know? Because Isn't comedy fun? Because you have no self esteem, but you have all these, uh, you know, delusions of grandeur, but you're like, I, I but, hate myself. You're a I'm narcissist. So but, but can I tell you that, <laughs> that, like, literally saying to comics, like, do you think that you're as good as Greg Gerald doing? You deserve to kill yourself. Uh, it's <laughs> do like, you deserve to kill like, yourself? Yeah, like you're. If you feel suicidal right now, do you think you're good enough to kill yourself? <laughs> Like fucking Greg Giraldo and all these people we know who accidentally died. Maybe my book would be selling if I killed myself. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So we don't want to say that either to people. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's, 
Look, I'm not Dr. Drew. I don't know how to... Yeah, I'm not trying to fix it. If anything, I believe in the idea that we should be connecting with each other. You know what I want to do? Instead of isolating each other and, like, success and what you're supposed to do. You know how they they send, like, uh, reformed drug addicts who are now Christians to, like, high schools to speak in the auditorium or the the cafeteria? I want to do that at open mics. smoke crack. Yeah. (laughs) I want to go to open mics around the country and be like, I used to do 15 of these a day, motherfucker. Do you want to be like me? (laughs) You know? And scare them straight, I guess. Yeah. No, we did an episode on our podcast, You're Fine, uh, Comedy and Self-Care, uh, there you go. about it. hustle culture and about oh, we did how, too. Yeah. how you could just... toxic it is, yeah. And they call it toxic activity as well. Yeah. And it makes more sense to me than hustle culture because yeah. as somebody who had, you know, I had hypothyroidism and I felt like my whole world weighed over a thousand pounds on top of me, yeah. the hustle was not something I could do. Yeah. And I always felt guilt for it. I always felt guilt for not being Subargawal. Yeah. I always felt guilt for not being, you know, Mark because Norman. <laughs> yeah. Mark Norman, because yeah. they're always on, they're ready to go. Yeah. I'm not. And I'm like, Corey, yeah. maybe you don't like stand up very much. Maybe you yeah. just like comedy. And that's true. My first love was SNL. You know, yeah. like I, I like sketch. I like fun, you know, but. Fucking, I, it's, I don't very, it's very troublesome for me because I am, as Steve likes to joke, a fan of the little jokes. Right? <laughs> little joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am a fan of this like toxic world of like get as tight as possible, fucking work it out. Oh, I love it like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's obsessive. Well, if that's, that's, I, that's that type of Pokemon that you are, then yeah. great. But I'm, I'm not. Fucking five sentence joke, and I'm uh, done. I love it. It, it makes good. me come. Oh, love it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I used it. to say, I used to say, and I found out it was a stolen joke, or at least a, 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 a maybe I read it on on fucking Tumblr one year. But it was, I wonder why the Chris, uh, I wonder why the Flintstones had a Christmas episode. That was the entire joke, and then the audience it take them about a second and they to be like, like, oh right, oh yeah, what the weird. Fuck are you thinking? And then I had a guy email me like two years later, hey, that's my joke. I like, get it, yeah. yeah. Oh. But that's but that's my favorite one because it's so tight. I love it. It's so tight. That is a good joke. That's a good joke. Yeah. Tight jokes are good. All right, let's wrap it up. Speaking of tight, this is long podcast. We got to <laughs> fuck out of here. Speaking of tight, Corey Spencer. Yeah. Corey. Damn. Uh, plug your podcast. <laughs> tell us again your Twitter and Elsa's Twitter and the sure. Uh, you can find Elsa, Elsa, just Elsa on Twitter. They don't want you going anywhere else and following them. Just follow them on Twitter. And for me, you can follow me anywhere. Corey Spencer, one R, two E's. Uh, I am Corey Spencer on everything that I do. And then your fine is your fine pod. Um, your is available on Stitcher, uh, fucking iTunes. Uh, uh, what's that one? The green logo. Spotify. Uh, yeah, there you, go. Uh, you name it, we're on it. Check and, it out uh, to learn about the one hour episode of your favorite comedians. Um, Jake, you want to plug anything? Yeah, you know, PDA. Um, fuck, I think I have a show this week in Brooklyn at Cobra Club um, on Friday. Ooh, on the Friday? 28th. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go hang out. Hello. I'm going to go hang out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to be there. Come hang out with us and watch Jake do a stand up. We can boo him together. It's like <laughs> nine. I don't know. I'll put it on Twitter. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I don't have an. Oh, I guess, yeah. Follow Why You Mad Pod. Email us for the Patreon episodes if you want to ask questions, have comments, have things to say, guests you want to request. Why You Mad Pod at gmail.com. And if you're in New York City, 
please come to my show because as I said earlier, if I don't break even by the end of the summer, I'm going to quit. And She's hemorrhaging money. <laughs> live a hedonist lifestyle where I spend money on being on a beachfront instead of on paying comedians to do stand-up. That's stupid. So check out Casual Sets NYC on Twitter. Follow us. Go see a show. Hedonism. I, I love it. Let's oh, do it. Oh, and I wrote a book. It's called I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. Get it anywhere. Cool. Get it anywhere. Love it. We'll put Corey's info so you can follow her and find the book. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>